Well, welcome again, everyone. I, as I mentioned, I want to talk about the uh, teaching of the eight worldly winds tonight. Um, this week, I've kind of been in the morning meditation uh, group. I've kind of been sitting with the practice of equanimity, and the teaching of the eight worldly winds is a, a is a beautiful teaching around equanimity about. Um, not saying no to anything about recognizing how things change, impermanence, you know, recognizing the truth of impermanence and that there is discomfort and there is joy and that things pass and um, there's pleasant and unpleasant and to recognize that as part of the ebb and flow of life and that we have these changing experiences um, and that we're invited to understand it and to fully allow allow ourselves to have the freedom to be with the comings and goings without some push or pull of wanting uh, without any preference um, and if we can truly be uh, at ease and in recognition of all these changes of the pleasant and the unpleasant and the coming and going then that's the path to freedom, that's the path to liberation, that not needing things to be a certain way, not um, believing that there's shoulds and musts and have-tos. And so let me just, um, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, there's a sutta, the Loka Vipati Sutta, that talks about these eight worldly winds or eight vicissitudes. Vicissitudes is a great word that no one ever uses. But it basically means um, change of fortune or circumstances. Generally thinking that it's like towards the, uh, the negative, but it's just the changing fortunes. You know, it's just the, the, the winds of change. And so there's four pairs of um, these winds. As in much of Buddhist teaching, there's, there are pairs. And there are uh, gain and loss. There's gain, there's loss. There's pleasure, there's pain, there's um, gain. Did I say that? I mean, yeah, pleasure, play, pe praise and blame, and pleasure and pain. And then fame and ill repute or disgrace. I saw one thing that talked about insignificance, you know, that there's fame and then insignificance, which I think is a, is a, is a nice way of um, giving that, uh, presenting that opposite. Um, and so in the sutta, it talks about, and the Buddha talks about, and the suttas talk about uninstructed worldlings a lot. Those are folks who are not on the path, who are not um, aware of the Dharma, of the teachings, who are lost in confusion, who are lost in greed, hatred, and delusion, ignorance. And when um, an uninstructed worldling uh, comes in contact with these things, the, that person does not see it as change at all. It sees as a, oh, pleasure, I must hold on to the pleasure. I have to push away the pain. I have to, they are in it without any reflection, without any awareness. They're just kind of caught up in these winds and they're just blown around like tumbleweeds um, or, or leaves um, or whatever gets caught in winds and is blown around. However, instructed whirlings, those who are aware of impermanence, aware of how things change constantly and that there is pleasant and there is unpleasant, there is, there is uh, discomfort, there's pain and pleasure, those instructed whirlings see things as they are and reflect on them. 
Um, they don't demean anything. There's no expectations. They don't say one is better than the other. There's no preference. They're, they don't chase or rebel. Um, what is it said? That they abandon welcoming and rebelling. They don't pull towards one and push away other. They're just, okay, right now it's like this. That's, that is my favorite phrase. You've probably heard me say that several times. Right now it's like this. This is the invitation to be present with the way things are. Um, you know, that it, the one of my favorite defini definitions of equanimity is the ability to be with whatever is, to be intimate with our, with, uh, to be intimate with our experience without preference. And so to not have preference for these either of these worldly winds is to have this sense of equanimity, this sense of ease, this ability to be with whatever shows up in our lives. Um, and it's really, um, I think, harkens to the, the Four Noble Truths. Um, the Buddha said that there is discomfort, there is suffering in this world, there's pain, there's, there's birth, there's death, there's... There's um, uh, old age, there's sickness. Um, we're going to be separated from everything we love. And so that, there's that, that truth of suffering, of dukkha. And that I talked about this last week. I talked about insight and to have that real understanding, that knowing of this, this willingness to be fully present with the discomfort when it's here or to be fully present with the pleasant, because sometimes we struggle with that because of our conditioning. We think we shouldn't have this, we should have that, or um, it's going to go away, so I don't want to allow myself to experience it because I'm, I don't want to deal with the ending of it. I'd rather not have it at all. So this way of shutting ourselves off from the reality of life, um, this way of trying to build our build walls to protect ourselves from these vicissitudes, these worldly winds, but that doesn't work. It just kind of intensifies the discomfort. So, the the invitation to understand the nature of discomfort that it happens, and that um, the condition that intensifies it and leads to more suffering is our craving for the pleasant all the time. As the Buddha said, the the uninstructed worldling chases. The one chases the pleasure and pushes away, repels the other. So to recognize when we're caught up in this, this chasing or rebelling is that intensifies the suffering. And then knowing that there is a way out, the, knowing the cessation of this suffering, the cessation of dukkha is you know, the third noble truth. And then the Eightfold Path is really diving into that. Um, how do I stay present? How do I um, let go of my preferences? Um, and it's a deeper um, in investigation of the characteristics of existence, of impermanence and the unsatisfactoriness and recognizing that there's no fixed self, there's constant shifting and changing and moving and growing and coming and going, that things are not just... Um, uh, rigid. We think it would be so much easier if they were, if it, I, it's just like, right here, okay, don't ever change. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be happy. The problem is, 
in my experience that if I had had my way when I was 13 and things stayed exactly the way I wanted them to be when I was 13 and everything was exactly what I thought it should be, um, I might be dissatisfied today. Lo these 50 years later or however many years later it is. I mean, because we change, things change. So to recognize that this happens. So to, to move through this Eightfold Path with this clarity, developing this clarity. And we talked about, again, I was talking about that last week, this insight and clarity and discernment. So to begin to see. But the, 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 what I love so much about these teachings is that they offer different perspectives of how we can begin to identify suffering, how we can begin to identify clinging or craving in our own lives. And the eight worldly winds are such a lovely teaching around this. Um, it breaks down these ways that we suffer. So I want to go through these a little bit. So there's gain and loss. Um, and it was really interesting. I have, I have notes from all the Dharma talks that I've given over the years. And I've, I have notes from this. Um, I, I gave this talk for the first time back in 2009. That's when I was just starting teaching. And um, that's right when the, um, the, uh, we had the financial uh, you know, implosion when everything, the, the, everything blew up um, and there was a tremendous amount of loss, a tremendous amount. People lost 401ks, they lost houses, they lost their homes, they lost their jobs. It was really uh, a scary time for a lot of people. And there has been some, there's been a lot of recovery in some areas and there hasn't been a lot of recovery in er other areas because of the inequities in, in, in our society. Um, but that has that that what we were focused on then is is different it's changed and now there's different losses and di and there's been so many gains and losses through those times but to recognize that things are constantly moving i thought that was just a a really interesting um recognition that and we all remember that time that was really um okay and then last year we had the pandemic there was another whole series of losses um, and then also a whole series of gains. I mean, there's, 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 it's not all black or white and we wish it could be all black or white because it would so be so much easier. Just make it be a particular thing. Um, I was reading something today. I think it was, um, I don't remember what it was. It was, uh, but it was written by Larry Rosenberg, who's a teacher, and he was talking about. And there's a line that a friend of mine used to use all the time. He used to say, and it must. Be, I think it's from a movie. It's like, tell me what to believe. Just tell me what to believe. You know, it'll make it so much easier. And that's when people get so rigid about things. That's so fundamental. Fundamentalist belief. It's like this is the way it is, and it doesn't allow any room. And so. If, you're if you have gain, if you have this, this whatever you've gained, whether it's monetary or um, the sense of normalcy, you know, we need to get back this normalcy. We've lost normalcy. And how do we get it back instead of realizing that that's just an idea, that's just a fabrication of the mind. We just, you know, what we have is pleasant. And maybe the next thing, the loss is unpleasant. 
but how can we just accept what is and recognize that this is going to happen? It's not because we're good. It's not because we're bad. It's not. Maybe we've made decisions that have us land in per- certain places, but what this teaching is about is also not taking things so personally. We just can't take things so personally. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, a Tibetan um, saying that says, accept what comes let go of what leaves. There's gain and there's loss. Accept that what comes and let go of what leaves. I didn't get this because I'm super duper and I didn't lose it because I suck. It's just it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. Um, and so this is a good place if we get, get caught up in that, um, recognize the craving that's there. The craving for the gain um, recognize the fear of lack. You know, we, we, we live in a society that tells us there's a huge lack and there's not enough to go around, so you better get yours. So really be aware of that because it's not true. It's just the, the conditioning that we've had. Um, and so to see where we get caught up in those stories of I must, must have this. There's a, there's a, I saw a thing um, the other day about another way of, of framing these, um, these wins, these, these four pairs. And for this one, it says hope for gain and fear of loss. So I like that. It's a hope for gain and a fear of loss. So there's that fear in there. So to recognize the fear and to be with it. What does that feel like? What does loss feel like? Instead of fighting it, come into awareness of it. Be with loss. I was listening to a, I think I was listening to Lion's Roar has a pod, Lion's Roar, the, the Buddhist magazine, has a podcast, which I didn't know about until recently. And I was listening to a little talk that Lama Rod Owens gave. And he was talking about, um, and I really love this. He, he says, we have to mourn what we can't impact or change. And so if there is a loss, instead of fighting and screaming, yelling, really mourn it. Get into, touch that sense of loss. Recognize that it's part of the human condition. Just as gain is, and, and not that we're bad or wrong, but to be with it. How can you be with it? With compassion really important compassion and love towards our experience and then when there is gain bring that joy without the fear of it going away be joyful that it's present celebrate what's there so that's gain and loss um the next one is uh fame and ill repute you know or success and failure what does he say hope for fame and fear of insignificance you know, um, that, what are people saying about you? You know, and we're, I, I know that's one. It's like, they better, oh, please, please, please. I, and, and what that does is it drives so much of our behavior. I mean, I have to make sure people see me a certain way. I have to make sure I have this, you know, I have this view of myself or I think I have this view of myself and I want you to see me a particular way and it's all good. And if it's not, then it's like almost unbearable. So um, that gets into praise and blame to some of these kind of mix around the edges, but fame, you know, I used to, I remember um, having this conversation in a humanities class in college, do you want to be famous now or after you're dead? And I'm like, I could care less about after I'm dead. I want to be famous now. 
Um, or, you know, what, there's a whole bunch of talk about legacy and history will judge these people harshly. And it's like, I don't know if they care. You know, I don't care. I mean, what about my legacy? I don't care. You know, um, thankfully I don't care, but you know, what, where we get caught up in, um, wanting to be seen in a particular way, this sense of self, what they, this, um, this self-use, akayaditi, which is a word I love. It's, it, it's like how I see myself and how I think people should see me and how I should be. You know, I am this and this and this and this, and um, that's what I want to be known for. And so often I'm not. So often I'm just a human being. Um, Pema Chodron said in her book, when, uh, Start Where You Are, she said, even people who are enlightened get snot in their nose when they have a cold. And that was a profound sentence for me. That was profound. So to recognize that, um, people are gonna, what people are going to say about us is um, what they're going to say about us. It has, nothing to, it has nothing to do with us. And like I said, this goes into praise and blame, um, whether we're, people think we're wonderful or people think we're awful. Um, when I was working, particularly when I was had this my job in corporate America, I had a really good experience. I don't want to diss corporate America as far as my experience is concerned, although corporate America has a lot to answer for. Anyway, um, if I did something well and I got a pat on the head, I was walking on on water. But if somebody else got a pat on the head, I was terrified that you know it's not a zero sum game there's not a finite amount of praise to go around but that's what my fear was what did they say the hope for praise and fear of blame cuz it's like oh if i'm not being praised then am i being blamed and please don't blame me i would lie i was i was an inveterate liar i came to it at a very young age trying to make sure i wasn't in you know getting in trouble even if i even if it wasn't anything that um was going to get me in trouble. It's just, what do I think you want to hear? And I will lie to make sure you see me in a particular way, so I'll have a pat on the head. And so I would, you know, just to get out of not being praised or for fear of being blamed. But if there was blame to go around, I was definitely going to come up with some rationalization to get out of feeling discomfort. I can't feel discomfort. It's 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 this this drug that we chase sometimes, you know the disgrace. We want the fame. We don't want the disgrace or the 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 insignificance. We want the praise. We don't want the blame, you know. Um, there's what we have to do is to recognize that it's tied to ego. It's tied to our sense of self, which is just created. We have taken birth of the as this person who thinks it needs to be a certain way. I have to be seen this way. I have to have these things. Instead, can we develop some humility? Recognize its ego. And it's just, all this stuff is just a creation of the mind. It's just a fabrication. And we're so entranced by these stories. We're trapped by them. And they cause so much discomfort. I, you know, I, um, the first time I taught a class, I shared, a t I shared a talk with my teacher, and um, somebody got up <laughs> in the middle and walked out, and some I didn't notice it, but somebody told me afterwards they put their hand in the Donna Bowl and took money out. Now, I don't know if that was a statement about me or they were just stealing money 
or whatever it was. But um, I got, to, I think, to, to, to sit in this place or any kind of place like that, you have to recognize that. And then somebody else will say, that was the best talk I ever heard in my whole life. You changed my life. And it's like, okay, somebody's walking out and taking their Donna back, and then somebody else said it really helped them a lot. So it's not about me. None of this stuff is about us. We have to recognize that's how other people receive it. It's how it lands based on their conditioning. And to... to when we have that equanimity, we're able to hold it and go, oh, maybe that, that, that unkind word did hurt, but can I just be with it? Can I bring compassion and see what part of me is, is, is holding on to that? What part of me needs to have people see me in a certain way? What part of me needs to have people say X, Y, or Z to me? in order for me to be okay because that's often what drives us this ego this i this me this mine um this fabrication and then the last set is pleasure and pain again this is that root of craving we we crave for sensual pleasure and push away pain pain is inevitable pain is inevitable and when we push it when we fight it it intensifies it absolutely intensifies. So how can we be compassionate towards the pain? It's so important. Um, it's so important. I saw a line that said, being swept away by any of these, these um, vicissitudes can cause emotional instability because we're caught in this trap of trying to get back where we were or back where we think we want to be. When it's unpleasant, we want to get to a certain place. And when it's pleasant, we never want it to change. So recognizing, I think what's really important about this teaching is to recognize um, which of these may resonate with you, because not all of them do. I mean, I mean, some of them may, I mean, to a certain extent, we, we are, um, we can resonate with all of them, but some of them may be more pronounced in our lives than others. For me, it was, you know, the praise and the blame was, was the one, the, the fame and the, the disgrace, um, they, as I said, for me, those two bleed into each other because I was so terrified of what people thought. And it comes from, it's a deep, 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 core, core, core uh, conditioning in my life and how I grew up in the situation I was in in my family and, and in, my, in my world that these, this conditioning of how I needed to be and how you needed to be. And um, so until I started practicing, until I started being willing to sit with the discomfort of um, maybe somebody gets angry at me. It's like, oh, okay, what does that feel like? Not the story about it, but how does it feel here? Can I, can I greet it with kindness? Can I greet it with an open heart, with compassion? We're so interested in fixing, and there's nothing to be fixed. That's what I, I heard Larry Ward say that a couple of weeks ago. There's nothing, we don't need to be fixed. We're just transforming how we see the world. We're transforming how we relate to the world. So it's not so much clinging and craving and, and aversion or a delusion. Instead, it's this balance of saying, oh, now this is, right now it's like this. 
you know? Right now it's like this. You know, we learn to let go of our amazing ideas about how things should be. That's the practice of renunciation, letting go of what we think it should be to see how um, renunciation is not just letting go of stuff that causes suffering so we'll be a good person and you know, check off the list, but to see how this place we're stuck in causes discomfort, causes dissatisfaction and suffering. And to let go, there's more space, there's a breathing room, there's an ease that arises. So we can have an ease even when there's pain. We can have ease even when there is, is blame. Because I can sit here for the next 30 years and there's going to be praise and blame. You know, we see it in our society all the time. It seems to be very magnified right now. These these worldly winds are magnified through the the news and the the you know the social media and um, all the stuff that you know happens um, that we're inundated with. That it's just like these talking heads and this. This person, that person, that person, this person. Uh, it's it can be incredibly painful, and so we have to we have to really um, develop ways to um, skillfully move through this this world of uninstructed worldlings who may be causing a lot of harm, and can we move through it in a way that we don't cause harm to ourselves or to others? So um, as you mm, reflect on this, maybe reflect on which of these may be most um, operative in your life um, and what stories are involved in them. I think with all of these teachings, it's what story do I tell myself and what story can I recognize you know, oh, I'm on the outside looking in. I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable. I, A, it's I. We've just, we've, we've just taken birth as a person who feels a particular way instead of recognizing like, oh, here comes that feeling again. Here comes that feeling of being an outsider. Therefore, blame is, is especially painful recognizing the story instead of putting it on and making it who you, how you walk through the world. That's an, I, I, I talk about that a lot, but it's a really important distinction to, to take a step back from this total identification and instead just recognize, oh, this is the experience of blame. This is unpleasant. This is the experience of loss. This is unpleasant. Okay. And it's impermanent. And, and it'll pass. And we also do some reflection and, and seeing if we've done things that are unwise or unskillful because we may have put ourselves in positions to have these uncomfortable experiences. It's, it's not about not reflecting. It's not a place, it's not a, a practice of being dismissive. It's not a practice of bypassing. Um, oh, well, there's praise and blame. Ah. Um, you know, if somebody says we did something just you know, not, oh, it's just blame. They're just blaming. It's, just, you know, it's like, oh, maybe it, it, bring some reflection and some um, taking, taking responsibility for our lives. That's incredibly important. And that's, you know, that's where we're supported by the ethical practices in the, in the, in the Eightfold Path.
um, the precepts. How am I showing up in these areas? How do, am I causing harm? So it's really important to have this fully rounded practice of ethical behavior and reflection and um, you know, making the effort to see where we're caught up and, and, and coming back to what's actually happening, not the thoughts or the ideas or the, um, how we think it should be, but to really be fully present. So, um, yeah. And then, um, you know, also on just a, finally, um, at, a, at a larger level, we have to recognize the societal um, aspects of this. There's a lot of loss and there's a lot of um, gain and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of blame and there's a lot of harm being caused. And to recognize that, that societies go through these worldly winds. It's not just personal to us, but it's, it's big picture. And um, uh, we do what we can, but recognize that um, there's no... Watch how we're, we can tend to get caught in having the answer, knowing how it should be and getting caught up in that. I, I, I truly, I don't truly believe. I used to think I had all the answers. But I laugh and say, if you asked me, I'd have the answer to world peace and hunger and all these things. If you would only do it the way I think it should be done, then it would be great. Um, all these things. But, you know, letting that go and recognizing that these are, these are um, sometimes generational issues that continue for a long time. And we work towards um, ending harm where we see it, but also be willing to be with the pain, be with the discomfort. And as, as Lama Rod said, mourn what we can't impact or change because we can't impact or change everything. How can we be with the discomfort and still continue and still um, be with the joy that's present too, be with the pleasure that's present because there is joy in this life. Don't miss the joy for hanging out so much with the suffering. So I think that's uh, what I have. So thanks so much for uh, your attention, and I hope it's uh, of benefit in some way, shape, or form. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.